Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Tyler Lefevre. Welcome to the podcast, Tyler. Thanks, Richard. Happy to be here. Um, what I'll do, like I usually do, is give a, an update. We visited for about 10 minutes, and um, I'll do this, and then Tyler will tell me how close it was to accurate. Tyler is 33 years old. Um, Tyler is um, a professor, an assistant professor at Utah State University starting this fall, but I'll give you a little bit of his background leading up to that. Tyler grew up in West Jordan, Utah, served a mission to New York, Spanish-speaking, um, went to BYU, graduated in psychology, then spent about five years at the University of Miami, where he got a PhD, so he's Dr. Tyler LeFever. I don't know if he's used to that title. But yeah, I like Tyler <laughs> um, Tyler is um, stepped away from the church. He resigned from the church three years ago, but up until that point, he was active in the church, served as an elders corn president in Miami, um, came back to BYU, spent a year at BYU, also spent a year at Stanford, taught for three years at Rhodes College in Memphis, and as I mentioned, is starting a job at Utah State. And when he went through that list of time he spent in, um, it sounds like Tyler's like 43, but he really <laughs> is three, 33 listeners, and he did serve a mission in there. So, And we're going to talk about Tyler's and I want people to know that this is a podcast about someone who's resigned from the church. And you might ask, well, why would I, an active Latter-day Saint, give voice to someone who's left our church and is going to marry a man? And, and there's a couple reasons for that. One is this is a podcast about bridging divides. And we're all the same human family. We largely have the same goals. And so I want to have Tyler share his story. He is supportive of other queer people staying in the church. He supported the church, but he's also felt his best life path is to be with a man and step away from the church. And so I've learned just to honor that and leave any judgment to our Savior who understands perfectly and um, just trying to find common ground. Turner also is a bridge builder. We're going to talk about his a survey that he's doing, but he's trying to do research as part of his professional assignment at Utah State to better understand LDS, LGBTQ stories and help people make better decisions. And the goal of his research is not just to sample people that have left the church, but also people that are queer or LGBTQ in the church. And it's a bridge-building effort. It's very consistent with this podcast platform. So I'm really glad to have Tyler in my home um, and just recognize the great work that he's done in the church and the great work he's doing now with uh, his efforts, for, with his expertise in um, psychology. Is that okay for a bio? That's pretty good. You got Talk about your actual assignment at Utah State. I'm not sure I got that exactly right. Yeah, I, I, so I am an assistant professor in their combined clinical counseling PhD program, which means I'll do a little bit of teaching. I'll teach a research methods course. I'll do uh, research, like the survey that you talked about, and then I'm working to set up an LGBTQ clinic at Utah State to serve gender and sexual minorities in Logan. And when you say a clinic, is that a ther place for therapy? For therapy, yeah. It'll be through, the psychology department has a community clinic. It'll be a subclinic under there. But hopefully in the next few months, we'll get that up and running. Just talk about um, 
there's careers in with your expertise. You, you could be a therapist. You sure. could be a research-focused faculty member. You could be a teaching-focused faculty member. Help our listeners, and maybe there's more. <laughs> Help our listeners kind of know what your what your passion is. Oh gosh, the the truth is, my passion is finding ways to provide accurate information to LGBTQ Latter Day Saints and former members of the church. And I come by it in all directions. I I guess if I had to pick, research is probably the top uh, because there aren't a lot of people doing research on this topic. And so I'm really interested in collecting stories and then synthesizing them and sharing them back. So we have a website, which I'm sure we can put in the bio or we'll get to later. Go ahead and tell our listeners that website. Yeah, it's www.fouroptionssurvey.com. And that's the number four and then options with an S, survey.com. And we also post all of the things that we write there so it can be accessible to the public and the people that we survey. But part of my research goal is to understand the benefits and the drawbacks of different ways of navigating gender, sexuality, and faith. So on one hand, I got research. I also teach, and I teach about gender and sexuality. I teach about religion. I teach about uh, psychological research. And then I do clinical work. I'm a licensed psychologist in Utah and Tennessee right now since I just moved and have had a private practice. I have a private practice. So I, it's also an important part of my work is helping people on their own healing journeys. It's a real privilege for me to sit with people from a variety of backgrounds and help them understand what their best life path is going to be. If people wanted to find you um, for your clinical work, how would they do that? Yeah, I think probably the easiest way is to just Google me, Tyler Lefever. I am the only one who spells their last name D-O-R. <clears throat> and I also have a website, www.tylerlefever.com, and they can find my contact information there. Talk about Utah State. You're living in Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, and obviously you grew up in Utah, as we mentioned. Is Utah State a kind of a dream job for you, or... Talk about yeah. why Utah State, to, we're recording this, listeners, in late July, and I'm, it's just right before you're coming on at Utah State. Yeah, in so many ways, this has been the dream since I was an undergrad at BYU. I remember at BYU, I, wanted, I always wanted to be a professor, and they said, you, if you want to be a professor where you're from, you need to go away so you can have new, get new ideas, new training, come back, which is what I did. I went away, and... A lot of my energy the last few years has been in publishing and getting, preparing myself professionally so that I could accept a research-oriented job uh, where I can be involved with the communities that I really love and connect with. I, the work, all the work that I do really is around gender, sexuality, faith, and mental health. And so coming to Logan and coming to Utah State for me is an opportunity to be more involved, to come to community events, to hear people's stories, and give back in therapy and to share my research with the people here. So yeah, this has been, this has been a lifelong dream. It's really cool. I love that you're here and I love your impact for good in this community. Thank you. Um, talk about listeners. What we want to do Tyler and I is maybe spend 75% of this podcast with Tyler, just sharing his story. Um, and then in the last little bit talking about this research, but let's start with, the typical question I ask you, growing up in Utah, you're in West Jordan. 
Um, talk about just your awareness of your sexual orientation and just walk us through that story. Yeah, I remember seeing guys running shirtless and telling myself to not look because I wanted to so much. But perhaps the most memorable... Was, give us an age when you were starting. Uh, 13. Happening? 13. Uh, I was at 15. I read something in the First Strength of Youth that said something to the extent that if you experience same-sex attractions, you should tell your parents or bishop. I was like, oh no, that's the last thing I wanted to do. But I was really obedient and diligent. And so I went to my dad's office and I knocked and uh, he opened the door and was um, like, what's going on, son? And I'm like, dad, I've got something to tell you. Like, what? I'm like, I like with Kentman's bodies. He's like, you want to work out more? I'm like, yeah, I just want to work out more. I'm like, okay. And that's where it landed. That was the extent of the conversation. And then my conversation with my bishop went pretty similarly. I felt so much shame. And I walked away from those conversations feeling so ashamed that I didn't tell anyone else for another 10 years. Uh, Nor did I really tell myself. I just put it in the box of things that I didn't need to worry about yet. Because I wasn't thinking about dating or marriage. I was really focused on prepping for a mission and then getting through school and getting into graduate school. Talk about your emotional health during this 10 years then between roughly 15 and 25 or yeah. 15 and 24. Were you yeah. okay or were you not okay? <laughs> yeah, I was actually really okay. <laughs> so much so that when I came out and I told my mom about my pain, she's like, but Tyler, you've always been happy. And uh, I don't know, the, the church just really worked for me. And I loved, I loved being a member. I I loved my mission. Um, New Jersey, I met a lot of people. I still keep in contact with some of them. I, I loved serving in the Elders Quorum Presidency. It really, things didn't start to get complicated for me until I really thought about marriage, until it was time that I should be married. I was 25. I was part, like two-thirds of the way through grad school, and not having significant history of dating people. And I'm like, okay, it's time to make this happen. And then I started to get some conflict. Walk us through just that, where you are and yeah. how dating women worked and where you just sort of came to terms that, about your sexual orientation. Yeah, I, I dated women for a while. Before I was 25, I probably had one semi-serious girlfriend uh, or two, but they lasted a couple of months or we were friends and not really dating. But I met a, a woman in Miami, and we dated for about a year and a half. And it was actually dating Reagan that really started my coming out process. I, I knew in my heart that I needed to tell her that I experienced same-sex attraction when we were dating, that that would be the right thing to do in, in a relationship. If she was going to be with me, she would you know, to know all of me. But she was the first person I ever told. And so I told her about two months into our relationship, told her and then I ran away to institute. I dropped out like, it's been great, good luck, think about this. Um, but she was wonderful. We we had obviously some up and down over it, but we dated for another year after. And I, I credit her with helping me to accept the reality of same-sex attraction for me. Because up until that point, I really put it to the side and said, this isn't going to be part of my life. I don't want it to be part of my life. And she, in a really joking, teasing way, would, would make it clear that she could see that I was same-sex attracted. She saw um, 
she could see who I looked at and she could see the kinds of things that I was interested in and she made it more okay to be a feminine and um, yeah, things didn't work out and they didn't work out probably because of same-sex attraction but we ended that relationship and I ended really grateful I'm going to her wedding in a couple of weeks um, and uh, but I actually ended that relationship in a lot of turmoil I ended up with more questions than answers because uh, I wanted it to work I wanted to marry her I wanted to be able to have like that heterosexual relationship but it just it couldn't work I could see how hurt she was that I didn't look at her for as long as she wanted me to look at her. Or that when we turned the movie on, I didn't want to cuddle her. <laughs> I wanted to watch the movie. <laughs> so. It's really honest. I appreciate you being so honest um, just with that. With that, keep just telling your story. Yeah. So we broke up, and after we broke up, I started coming out. I had told my family when I told Reagan but I really didn't share with anyone else about being same-sex attracted. Uh, and after that, gosh, I was three years into grad school, so I spent a year or so sharing with everyone in my life. By the end of that year, I told all of my friends and family, and then I posted on Facebook. But for me, that year was about just sharing that I was experiencing same-sex attraction. I was still very active LDS. I was the elders quorum president at the time. And that first year really felt great. It felt liberating. I felt really connected with myself and authentic in a way that I hadn't before. And um, just free, more free and more socially connected. Uh, after that, or I guess I'm sure it was mixed in, but I started to get really angry in that time too because I was really active LDS. I wanted to be married, and I, but I stopped dating. I was celibate for that year because, because I didn't want to date anyone and I didn't feel like I was in a place to bring anyone else into my life. Uh, and, but I started asking myself, what do I do then? Like as the same sex attracted member of the church, if, what if I can't date? What if I, what if I don't find a woman attractive? Could I be celibate? Could I, could I live a single life? And I sure it made me so angry. I got really angry with God that year or at that point, because I was like, how could you ask me to do this? Like, why would you ask me to give up so much of myself for, for the gospel? And um, I guess over that year and the next year, uh, I started to be really honest with myself about the things that I was being asked to give up. And uh, in somewhere in that process, my testimony just broke. I thought of it like this chandelier. One of the things that I love about the LDS church is how intricately connected everything is. But if you have a testimony of Joseph Smith, you have a testimony of the Book of Mormon, of modern revelation. But what I found out for me, at least on the opposite end, is that the opposite was true. As soon as I lost a testimony about the law of chastity, I lost all the rest of my testimony. It was as if my chandelier of truth crystals fell and shattered. And I was left with a bunch of things that I believed, but that didn't fit together anymore. And I just, I, it was probably two years that I was really searching and asking how, how do I make sense of these beliefs that I have and these truths that I'm learning about myself? I don't, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure exactly how to wrap the story up, but the end where it came together was that I, 
explored a, a bunch of different life paths. I'm like, okay, what can I do? I could be celibate. I could be with a woman. I could be sing, uh, single and open to dating men, or I could be dating men. And I just asked a bunch of people about their stories. I listened to, this podcast wasn't around. I wish it had been. Uh, but I listened to Voices of Hope um, and some of the Far Between Project stories. And eventually, it just became clear to me that dating a man was going to be what was best for me. Where were you living at this point, Tyler? So this was all in Miami. Uh, this is wrapping up my grad school. Uh, yeah. And then where was your next assignment? Yeah, it was BYU. So the irony was that... Um, so in psychology, you do an internship match, kind of like the medical match. So you rank a list of like 10 sites, and the sites that you apply to rank all the applicants, and they put it into an algorithm, and it tells you where you're going to go. And you say yes or no. So you don't, you don't actually get to pick at the end of the day. You just say, what do I want? Who wants me? And it tells me. And so I had interviewed at BYU, and I got placed at BYU. And it was at the time that I interviewed high on my list. But throughout that process, I started realizing that I thought I wanted to date men. And by the time I started my internship at BYU, I was clear with myself that the best life path for me was going to be with a man. In a way that really felt external to myself. It doesn't feel like something that I chose. It just, from the stories that I heard, it became clear that I was going to be happiest with a man. And, and that meant probably leaving the LDS church. I hadn't left at that time. So anyway, I was at BYU for a year working in their counseling center. I, I was out. I was out as queer. Uh, I was still active LDS and pretty pretty vocal. I enjoyed sharing my story at church. Um, and that was actually one of the, the best years of my life for as much pain and turmoil as there was. I also got to do therapy with a bunch of BYU students who were trying to figure out their sexuality. And it really lit a lot of my professional fire because I got to see more people's stories, to hear their stories, to hear the pain. And I think it was that year that I really internalized that my role as someone who loves people, as a supporter, as a helping professional, is to make space for people, to listen to their stories, and and maybe that's it. Uh, and because I saw people needing to go down a bunch of different paths in order to figure out what was best for them. Talk about the label you use right now. I assume you'll continue to use why that's the right label for you. Yeah, so I like queer because I dated women and I had fulfilling romantic experiences with women. So gay just doesn't quite fit for me. I'll say gay sometimes because it's easier. Some people bristle at queer. But I like queer because it's this umbrella of I'm just not straight, but I, you don't know how not straight I am. And I don't know, like if, if I had met a woman that I was sexually attracted to before I met my partner, then maybe we would have been together. That's a good answer. Um, I think as part of that answer, you're giving permission for people to use whatever label. Yeah, absolutely. I changed my label a handful of times. And I just think it's so individual. People have, I was same-sex attracted for a while. I was gay for a little bit and then queer. One of the things that I picked up, this is the first time I've met Tyler. We've been Facebook friends for a while. But one of the things I picked up before we started this interview was really a level of maturity about his life path that he's been really thoughtful for a long time. Didn't rush into this at age 16, 17. 
um, you think there's a maturity about, I've always thought, this goes back to when I was a YSA bishop, I always counseled the YSAs to make their life decisions, the most important ones, from a position of strength, when you're in the very best spot emotionally, physically, spiritually. And part of that is really getting educated on the different options and hearing stories. And I only had two gay men in the world, so there weren't a lot of these type of experiences. I've certainly learned hundreds of stories since that assignment. But I like, I, I like where you've made this decision in your life, because it seems like you've made it at a time of, of maturity and thoughtfulness and and in a spot where you're really pretty much emotionally helpful. And I, I think that's a good example for others that are walking this road. Often when they're coming out at 15, 16, 17, they want to kind of know how this is all going to work out. And they may not need to make those decisions for a period of time. Um, and I like that, but eventually when it became reality for you, am I going to marry this woman or not? I'm recognizing that as I'm doing my best to date her, that it, I'm just, it's not working. And I think that's just part of finding your journey. And I love that you were open with her about your same-sex attraction in the dating process. I just think that's a, a, a credit to you and just your maturity and being authentic. I also, I mean, we can talk a little bit about this, but I've met with a lot of people that have left the church, and some we don't, some are, we don't, not everybody that I meet with comes on the podcast, and I've met with some people that are really angry, and at a point that there's so much pain and anger towards the church, they want everybody else to leave, um, they can't quite believe that an LGBTQ person could be happy in the church, the church has caused them so much pain, and I honor those stories, it's not for me to judge the depth of someone's anger or dismiss that. So I've learned to validate those stories. But you're in a really good spot. Um, why did talk about that anger and what you did or what others did to help you work through that? For sure. I think about, as you were talking about making life decisions as they became relevant, I think that's been one of my guiding principles is I only need to decide on the things that matter practically for life right now. So am I going to date Reagan or not? Am I going to be open to dating men right now or not? Am I going to leave the LDS church right now or not? And eventually they all add up to a life path, but really was a lot of small decisions. When I think about my anger though, I, I was angry and I, I, I don't feel angry anymore. I, I still feel sad sometimes. There's a lot of loss. And my grief is actually around all of the things that I love about the church that I've lost. And for me, it feels like I can't have. Um, I used to use this metaphor as I was making life decisions that I was stuck behind a glass wall. And on the other side of the glass wall was all of the ideals I wanted, particularly a heterosexual family and children. And I would run at that glass wall and I'd just hit it and then I'd fall down. And I did that so many times. So there's some of the sadness that I just had to learn to stop running toward it. So I'm still, there's still sadness that that's, that can't be my path, that it wasn't my path. But the anger, it, it was there for a year or two. But I think, when I think about the anger for me, its purpose for me was to get me to create better boundaries and to create distance. When I was most angry was when I was still 
I was really involved in my ward, and I was starting to realize that I wasn't going to be able to date women. And for me, the anger at that time is what helped shift my path. It was telling me, Tyler, you need to step away from the things that you've been doing and find, and find a new path. And for me, as I've honored that, and as I've followed the anger where it's taken me, I haven't needed it anymore because I found the path that works for me. And I really believe that everyone finds a different path. I, I'm friends with people who are in mixed orientation marriages or who are celibate and who's it seems to be working for it. So I'm not going to stand here and say that that's not the right path. I'm going to say, clearly, I know this is the right path for me, and I don't really care what you think about my path. I just Because it doesn't matter to me. It's, it's my path. And maybe because of that, I've been able to let go a lot of a lot of anger because I don't need distance from the church. I don't need distance from my family or from friends because I'm confident about both my path and that I have the agency and ability to execute it. It's very helpful. It's a very good segment. I mentioned before we went live, I'm in a parent group, an LDS parent group with LGBTQ kids, and they invited me to part of that group. I don't have any LGBTQ kids, but um, there's a lot of prayers on those parents in part that they will as they're recognizing their child's life path for many of them, not all, is going to be if they're gay to find a man or if they're lesbian to find a woman. The parents are, they're at peace with that, but they worry about their future. They worry um, that we'll, we'll, as a church, we'll point to them as what's wrong with the world, that they have a very hard time finding a partner and making good decisions that, They'll self, you know, to deaden all the pain, they'll turn to drugs and alcohol and a tough life. And so there's a lot of sort of legitimate parent fear in this group about, and I think a lot of those parents, you know, as they listen to this podcast, Tyler, and go, I want what, I want um, my son or daughter to be able to get where you are and have a productive life where you're contributing to society and finding a life partner and a long-term committed relationship. Yeah, it's out of the teachings of the church, but a lot of parents get to the point where they realize the reality of their situation and they just want the best for their kid. Any thoughts for those, any thoughts on that issue, either for the parents or for their kids? Yeah, mostly just a lot of empathy. I can feel my eyes watering a bit because there's not a lot to do. It's a lot of giving space to children and there's not a lot that any of us can do to affect anyone else's life paths. And I think part of at least my experience of being queer and LDS has been learning to trust myself above everybody else and needing to find and live by my own truth. And certainly there are things that people can do to make it hard. There are, just, there are ways as a parent that you can make life more difficult for your LGBTQ child. Um, but I think that having any notion of the a right way for them to live is ultimately going to be harmful and hurtful. It's just like even, even today when, when I'm angry what I want with anybody, what I want to do is to hurt, and to destroy it's, for me, it's part of the emotion of anger, is wanting to put distance and 
get and sever boundaries. And so if, if your children are angry, what I think they would need to do is to find ways to accept and to feel the anger and to understand what it's teaching them about their lives and move with it rather than against it. Instead of being afraid of the anger, to understand what is this anger telling me I need to do? Is it saying, am I angry because I feel lonely? Is the anger really saying what I need to find is connection? Am I angry because I feel trapped? So is the anger saying that I need to find more options? But I, I guess maybe the wrap-up answer is to find a good therapist. I, I've done, I, I am a therapist, but I've done a lot of personal therapy. And having a space that I can just explore without anyone, without my therapist really deeply caring what I do, so long as it's healthy for me, has been really helpful to not feel pressured to make decisions. That is, that's a great answer. One of the things in some of these parent groups is I need a therapist to help me to find a good one, you know. And I realize you can't be everybody's therapist. Do you have any just, a lot of them want to find an LGBTQ affirming therapist yeah. where they understand the space. And any just thoughts for parents listening or LGBTQ that says, I need a therapist, but it's really hard to find a good one. Absolutely. So first off, I'm happy if you want to reach out to me to point you in the direction. So if listeners have questions, I'm in Logan. Right this year, I'm doing virtual therapy. But I'm connected to groups that could be helpful. In some of those groups, uh, there's an LGBTQ therapist or affirming therapist guild of Utah. It's one place to go. Uh, Encircle Therapy has some really good therapeutic services, as does, oh gosh, I think it's Flourish Therapy. Flourish. Lisa, yeah, Lisa Hansen. And then Lee Beckstead has a practice that's also dedicated to this. I more so probably a collection of people that I know, um, but uh, there are a handful of pockets of therapeutic resources. Uh, and again, I'd be happy to point people to if they have questions. It's very helpful. Um, did any, it sounds like what you did over, and to me, help me if I'm saying this right, I always felt anger is a secondary emotion to pain. Yeah. And the pain you were feeling of, of this walking to this glass door. I love that visual, Tyler. <laughs> and I love that you wanted what was on the other side of that glass door and your desire, everything that you desire, it seems in this whole story, was a heterosexual relationship and a, heteros and a family and children. That's been your dream. That's what you taught in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, you're an elders corn president in Miami. You've been helping people to have that dream your whole life. And, and as I develop, try to understand better of my LGBTQ friends, and I sort of start to see the pain they feel where they, it's not like you're wanting to choose this other path or that it seems like you've always wanted to have everything you've brought others to have, but it's just not possible for you. Yeah. And that then the pain of that is just so real and raw and that would lead to anger. And it seems pretty logical. You could get angry at God because yeah. he's sort of in charge of all this, <laughs> and he can't really solve it, and anger at our church and anger at family and the things we say at times, and we don't have sometimes develop as much empathy for people that don't have the opportunities that those of us in the church that are straight have and have been able to walk through that door. That door has never existed for us. <laughs> yeah. So any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, because it's 
for me at least, it was a lot about recognizing what my grief was about. That there were all these things that I wanted that I just couldn't have. And, and accepting that, it, when you were talking, it reminded me a lot of people's journeys who lose a child or who lose a limb or find out they have a serious medical condition. One of the first reactions to that is also anger as part of the stage of grief of saying, no, this can't be true. This isn't, this is not an acceptable way for reality to be. And the truth is it's not, it's not a preferable way for reality to be, but it's not a reality that we can change. And so moving into a space of acceptance and just saying, I, I didn't choose whether I was going to lose this child. I didn't choose my sexuality or my gender orientation. And yet it's my life. I took, a minute for me to make peace with that. And I think that's part of the journey of LGBTQ members of the church is making peace with the parts of their lives that are just going to be different because they're who they are. And that might mean that I'm not going to have a really close relationship with my mom that my siblings might have. It might mean that I never have children in a way that my friends have. But neither of those mean that I'm not going to have a happy life. Neither of those mean that I can't uh, contribute meaningfully to the world. It just means that I'm going to have a different kind of happy life. I'm going to make different contributions to the world. And so I think there's this process of grief and needing to really honor that these are, things, these are losses an individual's having. And then starting to pivot and say, okay, there is, what was the energy that I had behind wanting children? What was that really about? Was that about having meaning? Is that about giving back? Are there other ways that I can do that? Or maybe I can still have children. I can still have children. But uh, the same thing with relationships. Is there, what was this really meaning for me? And are other, there are other ways that I can fill this need. So I think of it as a reconfiguration. It just took, took me a long time. And I'm, I, don't, I really don't want to sound like I'm quote-unquote there. I am not in pain. I feel at peace. But I think it's a journey that takes time to do. You said a phrase, I'll see where the anger takes me earlier, and I like that. And I love the way you've, that makes me look at anger as a positive thing. You want to overcome it. Yeah. And you have, to the large extent, I sense a great deal of peace and calmness about you. But I do, I do like the idea of where, where is anger taking me in a positive yeah. way, and learning from it as we try to put it behind us. Um, I also like, one of the reasons I like to do podcasts with people that are, have stepped away from the church at times is to give hope to younger Latter-day Saints that feel that is their path or just need to hear stories of happy people that have been on this road for a while. I think that's the primary reason I stepped in this space was to reduce suicide. And... Um, the Fowler model, I think I'm saying it right, if it, is this three boxes of, if I can remember, I mean, Fallon or Fowler, um, and maybe you know it better than I do, but it's sort of, one is just not a feeling of belonging. Yeah. I can't remember, so I'm not even going to do it. But I just reckon maybe you could talk about suicide and just um, that sometimes people, even if they're stories of someone that stepped away, it does give them hope that they're, there might be a path for me to be at peace and be able to be a productive member of society, even 
if I feel like my path is not to fully participate in church? Absolutely. I, the model that I'm most familiar with is Van Orden. Okay. Maybe Go for that one. You know more about that than <laughs> Dr. Lafitte. <laughs> this is something I've taught to my students. Uh, but it, it talks about boarded belongingness yes. and then perceived burdens. That's it. And then the third is an acquired capability. For um, risk and risky behavior. Exactly. Which in an LDS, LGBTQ context is, is major. because This idea of perceived burdensomeness, or let me start, this idea of thwarted belongingness is that I want to belong, but I can't. Glass door. Exactly. And I think it's part of just the experience of being an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint is feeling caught between worlds. Tangentially, a lot of my work is looking to reduce this both within the LDS church and within the LGBTQ community. I think really both parts, both communities play a role in creating this sense of false dichotomy and tension. You must pick me and deny the other. I don't think that's helpful or healthy for anyone. But the, if I feel like I can't belong anywhere, I'm a greater risk. And then this, the other part of perceived burdensomeness is feeling like I'm just leaning on everyone else for my support. Uh, and that I, that could also come from not feeling like I have a sense of connection or I'm particularly isolated. And so I, I think the ways that we reduce suicide risk is by giving people a space to belong. Again, by a podcast like this, even as someone, as a listener who has never talked to anyone, I may feel like there's a place for me because I know there's people like me or there's hope. And then it's having conversations being open. One of my favorite, favorite phrases to use with clients as they're navigating sexuality or gender and faith is to say, you need to find people that are on team you. And what it means to be on team Tyler or team Richard is that these people have no investment in what life course I pick. So mom can't be on my team or probably won't be because she, because of her values, she's always going to want this or this for me. And Maybe some of my friends can't be either because of their values. I'll always want this or this from me. But it means people that will be able to say, look, if you leave the LDS church, cool, good for you. If you stay and you are celibate, cool, good for you. As long as you're finding happiness and flourishing. Because I think that having people on your team gives you the space to explore. And I think, again, I'm also feel convinced that LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, regardless of life path, need to have the space to explore all of the life paths so that they can be confident that the one that they pick is the best one for them. As soon as they feel pushed into one or the other, then they'll start to resent that I have to do X, Y, or Z. It's very helpful. I'm glad you're teaching your students that. <laughs> when someone taught me that, it was Jeff Case for the training. Um, you know, Jeff, he's the one who introduced me to it, and I've thought a lot about that. And I've also, somebody talked a little bit about that, a perceived burdenness in the sense that um, a feeling if you're LGBTQ and LDS, that you're you're messing up your family's eternal plan. And, and I'm a liability to my family because this idea that we're all going to be together, sitting around, that there'll be no empty chairs in the next life, and this dream of my parents and this dream of my siblings, because I'm, I have this glass wall in front of me I'm, that I can't get through, I'm messing everything up, and it would be better if I were not alive. And I, it just, does that resonate with you? Yeah, I, 
as you're talking, you're reminding me of a lot of my resolution and my current relationship with God or even the LDS Church has been stepping to the side. I, I don't disbelieve. I just don't have the energy left to concern myself about whether God exists or whether the LDS Church is true because I, I can't. I don't have room in my life for I was spending so much energy trying to figure it out. It was being destructive. And I guess I think about, oh shoot, I'm losing, I'm losing my train of thought. But there's something in there about how, right, people, part of the idea of an eternal family messing that up is maybe, maybe I did. Maybe that is what I did to my family. I can't, I can't say which is why stepping aside has been more helpful for me than to try to say I did or I'm not. What I have done is I've had to give people their feelings back to them and say, that is, that would be really hard to feel. And that's not my responsibility. That's the way that because of your belief system, you're interpreting what's going on. And that's not necessarily the way that I am going to see things from my belief system. Um, and so it's kind of giving people responsibility back for their sadness or their anger rather than taking it all onto me and saying I'm responsible. What a thoughtful thing to do. And I don't know if we do more of that in LDS culture or if we just do that as humans. We take on more than yeah. we should. And I love creating boundaries and a perspective. You said something really I agree with, and I've also made me think. You said you need to have people that are on your team, Team Tyler. Yeah. And often those people need to be where they don't have a sort of vested interest or a motive, an agenda there. And I thought back in my YSA bishop assignment, and there were a few YSAs that were not active in the church but would meet with me. Hmm. And we'd connect over social media, and they would, we'd message a lot. Eventually someone felt safe meeting in my office. But in those situations, I felt like I let them sort of determine the agenda. I said, what can I help you with? Um, and I let them set the agenda. And, you know, if they wanted to join ISIS and bomb me, I would probably <laughs> there. But, you know, a couple of yeah. them were addicted to drugs, or a couple of them had huge financial problems, or a couple of them had just all these ranges of life issues that happened, and they just wanted some help. And I didn't make it conditional on them returning to church or attending sacrament. I, I sort of let them set the agenda, and I said, I'll just walk with you yeah. On, on the road that you feel you want me to walk with you on to help you be, if I felt their goals were noble, if their goals were to increase drug use or become more financially dependent, obviously that's different, but they had legitimate goals to improve. Yeah. So I want, and even as a parent, I'm wondering, I have kids that all fully participate in the church, but I wonder as a parent if I would be able to ever get in the space. I know some of the parents in my Facebook group that have LGBTQ kids, they've gotten the space where they're on Team Tyler, so to speak, and they just want to, without sort of, their only agenda is to keep their kid alive and healthy and emotionally stable so they can make good decisions going forward. And I think that's, and sort of taking off this perceived burdens and giving them a feeling of belonging. And some of those parents I really admire because they've had to grieve their stages of hope for their child and eternal marriage and all the things that they want, and they recognize through the reality of their situation and just leaving it at the Savior's feet and saying, I'm going to move my, I'm just going to walk with my kid 
And I'm going to largely let them self-determine their future, and I'm just going to help them make good decisions. Is that it? Yeah. Any I, thoughts on all that? Gosh, what what lucky uh, ward members in your ward that you were bishop of. Well, I, I probably made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, but I think that's the energy, right, from a church leader or a parent is saying, I'll walk with you, like Carolyn Pearson's yeah. movement. But because the idea is that there's nothing any of us can do to change anyone else's path. We might think we can. Maybe there are things that we can do to help or hurt. But mostly, I think, as one of my guiding values is that humans are motivated towards flourishing. That if I can help people remove barriers in their life, or actually, if I can just sit and listen to people, they'll understand the barriers in their, li- in their lives, and they'll remove them themselves when they're ready. But uh, more often than not, my role is just to be with them, to give them some company, and not to fix them, uh, even as a therapist or even as a friend, and just to let them let them be. And that, I guess I have learned to develop a deep trust that people will do what's best for them or they won't. And that's going to be okay because I couldn't have made anything better for them. That's relieving. Yeah. It's, as a parent or as a therapist or as an advisor. And it's so hard to do when you really care about someone. But I think that's actually maybe a first step to creating change, to letting, because once someone knows that you don't have an agenda for them, then maybe they'll actually come to you for advice, give you a chance to help out. I agree with that. Um, I just, I, I really do agree with that. It is the sort of non, I call it non-agenda love, has the ability to affect people in a positive way more than any other time. Yeah. And it's, to me, going back to the teachings of our church, to me it's really owning our doctrine of personal revelation and personal agency. Yeah. And if I really buy into that, I can do what you're sharing with us easier because it's part of the doctrine of our church and it's part of this glorious plan of salvation and this purpose of mortality in the context of a pre-earth life and a post-earth life. That to me, our doctrine as Latter-day Saints, and I realize you kind of stepped away from that, should almost make us easier for us to do that than perhaps other people of other faiths. Absolutely. I I love the LDS church, so, and I love a lot of the doctrines, and I credit a lot of my ways of being to them, and I, I, I agree. I think there's a lot in there that really teaches teaches these things, and charity and compassion, and really trusting God with all your heart, mind, and soul probably actually means letting go and letting him take control in certain areas. I think there are plenty of teachings that really support positive ways to walk with people and to learn and listen and love. Um, there's an Ensign article that came out in July. It's called You Love, He Saves, and it's by Krista Rogers Mortensen. And by the time Tyler's podcast comes out, Krista and her sister Kira will have been on the podcast talking more about this article. And I'll just, it's a really good article. I'll read just a couple paragraphs. Um, this is um, Krista who has adult children that have stepped away from the church. Then as adults, they started to explore paths and ideas that were different from the things we taught. One by one, our children stopped participating in the church until only one of our five children still chose to attend. 
we shed many tears over our children and wonder if we had felt as parents if there was something we could have done differently. For a long time, I pleaded with the Lord to change their hearts. Finally, the Lord answered my prayers, but not in the way that I expected. Instead of simply changing their hearts, he showed me that I need to start by changing my own heart. My parents played an important role in teaching their children. He reminded me my role isn't to judge or save them, but to love them. Jesus Christ is their Savior and judge. And it just is a really short, powerful article about parenting and our role as parents. Um, so that's if you haven't, if you're listening to Tyler's podcast and you want to hear Krista talk more about her journey and her sister joins us on the podcast, that's a wonderful podcast. And two LDS parents that have adult children have stepped away and just talking about how to manage this and your goals to keep the family circled together, which are doing a great job, um, which we as parents can do. And, and just in the parent group, with LDS kids, the constant thing that these parents get as they go to the temple and pray and ask Heavenly Father how to raise the LGBT, an LGBTQ child is just love them and let everything else at my feet. And they're relieved because they go, I know I love people. I know I love my kid. Any thoughts on any of that? Oh, I, it's funny because I often think about the pain that my parents feel. My Both of my parents are still active members of the church. My dad was released from being bishop about a year ago. And so he was bishop during a lot of my coming out times. And actually what I think about most is that I, I don't know that I can really understand their pain. Maybe in the same way that they can understand my... It's very empathetic statement. Yeah, but it, it just... There's a lot of loss for them, for parents too. And that has to be okay. And sometimes parents probably get angry because they don't want to have lost their visions or dreams of, a, of their heavenly home with no empty chairs or whatever that means. And, I, yeah, just I think it's hard all around. And a real healing process in families is about both parties recognizing the pain and the difficulty and accepting and deciding, committing to each other as a loving relationship that this is going to be worth continuing to maintain and cultivate bonds even through these difficult emotions. It's awfully thoughtful of you um, to recognize your parents' pain in this whole process, even though just like I as a parent create kid and pain in my own kids' lives at times, but your empathy for your parents recognizes this is hard. Thanks. It's, Richard, it's just that we're all connected. That if, if I love you, loving you is giving you the opportunity to hurt me. And if you don't have the opportunity to hurt me, then I don't really love you. And so because, and I think human relationships are just messy and we hurt each other, Just we just do. And so I think of it as just part of actually what a really healthy, functional relationship looks like is having these ups and downs and pushes and pulls and disappointments and sorrows. And what is actually miraculous through it all is continuing the connection and seeing that, no, we're committed to dancing through all of these emotions. I love that. Um, my brother has adult children that have stepped away and wrote the book Bridges, ministering, uh, wait a second, ministering to those who question, and he has some wonderful principles um, that might be helpful for any of you that are listening for the first time and haven't heard of that book. It's a really good book about 
keeping the family circle together and not sort of judging right now if you can have empty seats at the table in the next life. I think our Heavenly Father doesn't want parents to fear that right now. I've often talked about it. it's me um, concluding right now that my Los Angeles Dodgers are going to lose another World <laughs> Series and feeding all that emotional pain now. And I think we just need to trust um, in this plan and, and not conclude now a future outcome and feel the emotional pain of that. So we really don't know um, exactly how that's all going to work in the next life. And even though I invite everybody to stay in the teachings of our church and I recognize Tyler isn't, I wouldn't want to conclude what that means because I don't know Tyler's individual road and I don't know the challenges and that he faced that I didn't face. It's like Elder Gay when he gave a blessing to his sister he gave him, talked about in conference, who was never fully active in the church. In that blessing, he received a spiritual rebuke because he defined her too much by her activity in the church and failed to understand the complexities of her life that he had never fully understood. So I just think that kind of framework brings us together and, and decreases some of the tension that might exist. And looking at people, are they active in the church or not active in the church, and try to see everybody as the son or daughter of God who has a unique and beautiful life mission and is hopefully moving forward in the very best way they know how to move forward. And we sort of support them in the path that they feel is right for them. Um, any thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I just think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I'd like to talk about your research project in the last segment, but I wanted to see if there's anything, Tyler, you want to talk about your own story that we haven't got to. Yeah, the wrap-up to my story is that I met a really wonderful guy and talk about this in Tennessee. His name's Brock, and I guess by the time this goes live, we'll be engaged. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Strange thing to say for something happening ahead of time. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, he... My relationship with Brock really helped work out a lot of the rest of the kinks that I held in terms of pain maybe that I was holding or I just, it, I found the fulfillment in our relationship that I'd always a lot of the things that I wanted behind the glass door that I was looking at just looks different than I had found it before and just I feel happy and satisfied in where I am in life in general right now it's I'm, I just came back to Utah, coming back with family and friends and communities that I love. I'm happy to be in a relationship that feels like it's flourishing and walking the path that's best for me right now. And I guess, really, if I had to wrap up my whole story, it's been all about adapting to what's best right now. I don't, I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years. I don't know, Richard, we were talking about this a little bit before, but I don't know if my spiritual journey will lead back to religion or faith at some point. And I just trust myself that if that becomes important, if that's good, then I'll go there. And if not, then I won't. And it's really been all about adapting to the present moment. Congratulations on finding Brock. Thank you. Um, Pretty lucky. And having a future partner, husband to share your life with. Um, I didn't quite know how to handle that um, when I knew people that were gay, found a life partner, and and I think my listeners, I've learned just, I hope your marriage succeeds. I don't sit on the sidelines and sort of say, I hope it fails because that might bring you back to the church or help you recognize your path is wrong. Um, I maybe even cringe saying that. 
Um, I just, I'm happy for you. Thank you. And I want your marriage to succeed, and I want you to find the same level of happiness that I have in my marriage. And I recognize that you finding a life partner, being happy in your marriage, will allow your life mission to be more likely to happen. And you have this life mission of healing people. Um, You're a really young guy at 33, and I think our listeners would, on behalf of them, I think they'd say, wow, you are really articulate and insightful, and your personal journey plus your research plus your clinical training has brought together an ability to heal and help other people in a very unique, wonderful way that I have to think is a part of your life mission that was always meant to be. Thanks. And so I just, I'm excited for you. And I just, mm-hmm. there's not, it doesn't cost me anything to be excited for you. Don't know anything that I'm selling out mm-hmm. in my own faith to just be excited for you. I think our listeners know my style well enough. I probably, if I were your wife, say Bishop wouldn't invite you to find Brock and be married. I'd probably invite you to stay in the church, but I'd probably say I'll walk with you as you figure out the best road for you, and I'll be there. And at some point, if you can't fully participate in the church, I'll still walk with you. And so that's the way I'd handle this. And so um, maybe that's the way I'd handle it as a parent of an LGBTQ child, too. It just doesn't cost me anything to do that. And then I I know you're ready to jump in. And then I, I also wonder if I'm less likely to mint a really angry former Mormon if I sort of make you the hero one day of this and the villain the next day and sort of point to you as what's bad in the world. I mean, sex trafficking is bad in the world. We watched OUR the other night. My wife and I just cried for the people that are sex trafficking little kids. That is pure evil. And if we need to point to the sign of the last days, and, <laughs> but I just I don't try to sort of make you the villain for everything that's wrong in society because I don't think that is. I don't think you and Brock are. I really appreciate that. And when I was hearing you talk, it reminded me of my parents and how grateful I am for their the way that they've walked with me. It's, there's been a lot of up and ups and downs. And I think the place that we're in now is the place of mutual respect. They, and for as much as I would love to have them be really excited for me, I, I don't know that that's going to be going to be part of their experience. They're they're happy for me. They're happy that I'm finding partnership and love, and that I'm happy. And they're also going to be sad. And that's been equally important to accept and embrace them for me. And that that. Part of them being who they are is their beliefs in the LDS church. And, and that's okay and wonderful. It provides so much goodness in their life that it's going to mean that their reactions are nuanced, kind of like you were describing your reaction to someone in your ward. And, and that, that's okay. People have complex reactions. Um, I put on Twitter the other day this tweet. Um, I find joy peace in the LDS church. I invite all to consider it to find God and joy and peace. But I have no way or right to assess the level of joy and peace of those outside the church. And my joy and peace is not threatened by others finding joy and peace outside the elders' church. And, and so I don't look at you and say, well, you're never going to be happy or you're going to find joy or peace. I just don't think keeping my covenants that gives me the right to decide if you're going to be happy or not in your life or or judging if you're keeping your covenants or not. I just, 
leave that to Savior's feet and say my job is to support Rob and help everybody make their way forward. That said, I've, I've met people and have invited people to join the church, including in the YSA ward. I baptized three young men and I'm very during that time, and I'm very confident that God's plan for them was to join our church. Um, there was one young man I taught that did everything that we asked and the missionaries asked, and he declined to join the church. He just felt that it wasn't his path. And I didn't, I just honored that, Tyler. I yeah. didn't feel like there was more for him to do. I just felt the feeling that God has blessing people, such a small part of, of human populations in our church. I just recognize that God's at peace with people being outside of our church for their whole mortal life, but I'm going to be at peace with that. I'm just going to trust our heavenly parents that they know better than I, and then I do what Christ taught us to love my neighbor as thyself and try to find a way to bring more common ground in our, our society that's becoming so polarized right now. So I'm talking too much. I like my guests to talk more than I do. Um, talk about... Give us the name of the, the website again and sure. talk about the research and who you're collaborating with. Is it just people out of the church? Is it a mix? And give us a feeling for this. Sure. So the website is www.fouroptionsurvey.com. And that's number four options with an S and then survey. And I'm working with a group we call ourselves the Four Options team. It came out of the Reconciliation and Growth Project for people who are familiar. Um, but some of the names that people might recognize on the team include Ty Mansfield and Lee Bexton, who hold pretty opposite positions. Ty is a member of the church who experiences same-sex attraction, is in a mixed-orientation marriage. Lee was raised LDS, has left the LDS church, and is, is currently partnered with a man. And the goal in bringing the team together, I think it was Lee who organized the team, was really to get people with diverse perspectives as we approach the study of gender, sexuality, and faith, so that we're not stuck in one way of thinking about this. Uh, so our goal with this four-option survey that we're doing right now is to understand, I guess I like to think of it as the risks and benefits of different life paths. The four options that we talk about are being single and celibate, being single but not celibate, being in a mixed orientation relationship, and then being in a same-sex relationship. And we, one of our aims is to help people who are trying to make life decisions to understand what the risks and benefits of each of those four options are. And in order to do that, we need people who are in each of these four options to share their voices with us. The survey is a bit long. It's 45 to 60 minutes. We'll pay you $10 if you do it. Uh, but it's got four sections. There's a section on uh, a demographic section. There's a section on religiousness. And so we're interested in what does your faith look like for you? How uh, often are you attending church? What are your beliefs? We're interested in sexuality. What is your relationship with your sexuality? And then in health. And I guess I should caveat that the survey is for uh, sexual minorities, LGBTQ or same-sex attracted uh, individuals who have been baptized LDS at some point regardless of if they're currently affiliated. Including our transgender friends. Including our transgender friends, thank you, yeah. And we're hoping to follow people for 10 years. We want to understand how people change over time and kind of what sorts of conflict management strategies are helpful or harmful 
because we don't really know. We don't haven't had any at least research studies that have followed people long enough to know that if you try and do this, it's going to end up like this. And so one of our biggest aims right now is really to get a diverse group of people to be involved so that we don't just have one group of people providing their perspective on what happens over time, that we can really say, I think this is what happens to LGBTQ or same-sex attracted members of the LDS church as time goes on. Is it to come up, I know the answer to this, but is it come up with a correlated narrative like this is the one single path everybody should take? Just share with our listeners some of that thinking. Yeah, absolutely not. I, I guess in, in our writing, we tend to write uh, two parts. So we'll have a which horse wins because I think it's important to understand common trajectories. But then we always have the second part is how can I be healthy and satisfied in, in whichever life path? Because what I want to do as a therapist, when I have a client come in and say, I don't know what to do with my life, I'll be like, I don't know what to do with your life either. And what I want to help you to do, but, but there might be a right answer. It's not there's no right answer, but you're going to have to figure out what your right answer is. So let me tell you about these different four paths, what they tend to look like, what people value who do these different paths, what their struggles might be, what their benefits might be. And then I'm going to invite you to try them out and see which one's going to fit best for you. I like that. I very much like that. Um, can I be anonymous if Absolutely. I'm closeted and don't want to become uncloseted? <laughs> Absolutely. So the Institutional Report Review Board at Utah State has approved the protocol, and we have found a way to collect your information and not tie it to your responses. So what we'll ask you for your email at the end of the survey, and we'll ask you to create a unique five-digit code, and we'll collect your email separately from collecting your responses. And so your, both your email and your responses will be connected through this code, but we won't have we won't be able to, even on our end, identify the email that belongs to the responses. And I could, if I'm really careful, really want to be anonymous, I could create a one-time Google email. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, we want we want you to feel comfortable doing this uh, as a listener and understand that for many people, this is not something they want shared. I love that. I got a call from a fellow in Florida. I have a lot of respect for him after talking with him. And he said, you know, there's one group that's never on your podcast. And I said, who? And he says, all those that are out. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's yeah. true. And his and I, if you're one of those that's listening, I, I think Tyler would agree, there's no requirement to come out. It may not yeah. be, you may come out to a therapist um, or a couple trusted people, but even though there's a lot of people that come on the podcast and bravely share their story, I don't want you to feel like, well, I have so, I'm in create more shame for you because you can't do that. Yeah. It may not be your path to do that. And it may be just fine for you to be where you are. And these stories just may help you feel better about where you are. But I wouldn't want any story you feel to just create more shame because I just feel worse now because I can't come out and I'd love to. Are you, Absolutely. Any yeah. And we want you to participate in our survey because we want your you voices can, heard. Yeah. And I, that's yeah. What, I love that you want those voices heard. Yeah. Because um, oh, you may not be able to come on a podcast and sure would be vulnerable for an hour, but you may be able to be in this 10-year study, which really will be helpful for you and for others. And will help other people like you to 
help us have accurate information about other people like you. Uh, because I also agree, I don't think everybody needs to come out. And I think that coming out can be wonderful in some circumstances, at some stages, and then some stages can be really harmful or not possible. So I also really honor everyone living their own truth. I'd encourage you listeners and your believers to come out to your heavenly parents because I think they can help you um, on this road. And I guess if you're praying to them about how to manage this, that's sort of coming out to them. Um, so I think they will help you on this road, even if you feel, and they may help you feel this way, that your road isn't to come out publicly in any way. But I love what you're doing with this research project. You'd be a part of that. Um, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, Tyler? You know, it's been a real pleasure to be on here. I, Richard, I love the work that you're doing, and I'm excited that this podcast exists. Uh, and I, the same, actually, for the listeners, for just being part and participating is already showing a commitment to understanding, to listening, learning, and loving. Good. And I and thank you, Tyler. You have a unique life mission. It would be fascinating to have you on every five years. For <laughs> You're going to live another 60 years. Um, and just this really unique life mission you have. You. Um, and the groundwork that you've laid with all the work you've done to get you where you are, it's sort of like a pivot point, I think, in your life, coming back to Utah at this point, wanting to be in this space in Utah, the intersection of LGBTQ and LDS with your academic training, your clinical training, um, getting married to Brock and and being at the front end of this tenure study. And I just think it, you have a really unique voice in our community I love the space you're in of trying to find common ground to bring this together and help people make thoughtful decisions. So, and I agree with Tyler, you listeners that are willing to hear these stories. Uh, you don't need to agree with everything I say on the podcast or a listener. That's not the goal of this podcast is to create one correlated single way of believing. I'm just trying to do the very best I can as a committed Latter-day Saint to, to understand this space and and to bring voices on that help me and also help you as we're trying to come together and support each other, particularly our LGBTQ brothers who have that glass door. I love the visual because I've walked into a glass door. I've never cut myself. <laughs> I've never broken it. But I, I recognize that's a pretty good um, metaphor to describe. And you can the glass, to me, represents two things. And I think you said this. It represents the ability to clearly see what you want. That glass is so clear that you can see that heterosexual lifestyle and that family and everything that comes from it. And you've wanted that for decades. You've taught about it. But the glass represents it's so clear that you can't even see it sometimes and you hit it and it causes pain. And you're there and maybe it's a moving glass door in the sense that you... <laughs> Don't exactly know where it's going to hit you again. Yeah. It may be a church meeting or something that's said. or you, So that glass kind of represents the pain of being reminded that that's not possible for you and and sometimes not even aware that it's moving around. It could hit you at different times. And so that's a pretty powerful visual um, that I'm going to remember. So thank you and thank our listeners. This is Richard Osler signing off. Mm-hmm.